Welcome to AudioPie's English Literature and Language Show. You can dip into huge chunks of over 19 series for free and learn on the go. Happy listening, everyone. Welcome back. In this episode, we're going to look at the major themes of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, with a particular focus on the two named characters. We've touched on most of these themes a little in previous episodes, but this is your chance to really get stuck into each one individually and make sure you're an expert before we start to consider the individual chapters of the book. We're going to consider the following themes: animalism, civilization, duality, the other, authenticity, and finally sensationalism. In particular, it's important for you to understand how Stevenson uses these themes to present the differences between Jekyll and Hyde. At its core, this book is a battle between the two sides of humanity, so how each is represented is key. Let's start with animalism. There are a lot of animal motifs and bestial descriptions throughout the book whenever Hyde is mentioned. For example, Utterson describes him as a troglodyte, and when he assaults Carew, it is with an ape-like fury. Hyde is a violent presence throughout the book, and it's interesting that the targets of his violence are innocent figures. First, he tramples a young girl in the street, then he assaults and murders an old man who appears to only have asked for directions. These descriptions clearly label Hyde as a primitive in the eyes of the novella's narrators. But is it as simple as that? A key element of animalistic behaviour is that it is amoral. That is to say, animals don't think about what they're doing as good or evil, right or wrong. They just do what they need to survive. Does it seem like Hyde is behaving how he is, purely out of a survival instinct? You could certainly argue that he isn't. It seems that Hyde takes pleasure from his actions and from knowing that they are wrong. Jekyll himself confirms this in the final chapter of the book, describing Hyde as being inherently malign and malicious, whose every act and thought centers on himself. What's also interesting is Jekyll's admittance that he felt a kind of wonder at his vicarious depravity, essentially admitting to enjoying observing Hyde's depraved behavior. So, if Hyde and at times Jekyll both enjoy depraved acts more because they're bad, can Hyde's behaviour be said to be animalistic? There are certainly animalistic elements to Hyde's behaviour, but because there is an awareness of morality, we must ask whether it is purely animalistic or whether it is instead the darker side of civilization and humanity. In this sense, Hyde is not a separate being from Jekyll; rather, he is the embodiment of primitive man. Without the limitations of civilization, Jekyll, like Utterson, is an example of the ideal civilized man: educated, reserved, polite, and generous to his friends. The only thing which weakens his position is his interest in alternative science and thinking, as highlighted by Dr. Lanyon, who remarks that his friendship with Jekyll has deteriorated over the years. But it is more than ten years since Henry Jekyll became too fanciful for me. He began to go wrong, wrong in mind, and though of course I continued to take an interest in him for old time's sake, as they say, here Lanyon is aligned with the correct form of scientific inquiry, while Jekyll is aligned with a corrupt form of thinking. 
This book constantly pits people and ideas against one another. Lanyon against Jekyll, Utterson against Hyde, Jekyll and Hyde against one another. This constant duality strengthens the impression of the other on us as readers. We're constantly confronted by the other side of the coin and made to ask questions. This question-asking and uncertainty is as much a theme of the novella as anything else. The narrative structure itself creates uncertainty with unreliable narration and a slow trickle of information from trustworthy documents like Lanyon's will and Hyde's checkbook. It's also worth considering duality when examining the spaces within the book. There is a blend of both public and private spaces, as there are public and private moments. It's interesting that Jekyll is most commonly seen, or described, as being in private spaces, whereas Hyde spends a lot of his time in the book outside in the public world. A strange feature considering he is supposedly the hidden side of Jekyll. Jekyll is almost exclusively encountered within or just outside his own lodgings, which are tastefully furnished and managed by trustworthy staff. Conversations between himself and his friends happen in private and are reserved even when Jekyll is frustrated. Lanyon and Utterson, too, keep to themselves and mainly meet in private, with the key exception for Utterson being when he has to venture into the public world to meet Hyde. Hyde, on the other hand, is often found or seen on the streets of London. It is on the public streets that he tramples the young girl, in public that Utterson is able to confront him, in public that he commits the murder of Sir Carew. The only two times we encounter him in a more private space are when he transforms back into Jekyll in front of Lanyon, and when he has committed suicide in his laboratory while Utterson is trying to break in. The settings of the two characters mirror their attitudes and habits. Jekyll favours private, controlled spaces, whereas Hyde spends his time amongst chaos and other people. Ironically, the fact that Mr Hyde is never hidden indicates that Stevenson is perhaps crafting a moral message. Those aspects that we wish to hide or conceal may actually overpower and control us. By keeping a foot firmly in both the mysticism of Hyde's world and the rationalism of Jekyll's, Stevenson is using this book to explore all of the themes we've discussed so far. This technique, the combining of the romantic and the real, has a name. Sensation fiction. Sensation fiction, and sensationalism as a whole, is often used to explore themes which would be considered taboo or outside the norm in a civilization at that time. It was a popular form during the 1870s, which arose out of both the Romantic and Gothic traditions, and has been described as a novel with a secret. Importantly, sensation fiction is a blend of various genres, combining the terror of Gothic with the secrets of crime fiction and the melodrama of romance. Sensation fiction is usually identified by its combination of various motifs, misdirected letters, potions, drugs, poisons uncertain identities, coincidences and danger. We will encounter all of these as we begin to look closer at the novella's individual chapters. And that's exactly what we'll be doing in the next chapter. We recommend reading the complete novella before listening to the next section of this series to ensure you get the best possible understanding. Until then, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. 
Don't forget to search for and listen to the next episode in the series to build your topic knowledge. Hit the Acast Plus link in the show description to become a premium supporter and unlock access to every episode in every series for as long as you need. We also make GCSE and A-level content for history, RE, sociology and psychology. Happy listening, everyone.